Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with Rachel Madel. What's going on, Rachel? Hey, Chris. How are you? My um, my chest is a little sore today, Rachel, but did a bunch of push-ups. My, my pectoral muscles are maybe strained a little bit. They're a little, maybe, maybe I tore them or pulled them or something. Yeah, there's something going on with my pecs here, Rachel. <laughs> you always have a clever way of leading into today's topic of discussion, Chris. Um, you're correct, we're talking about pecs. Um, I wanna give a little bit of a backstory. So I just presented at SLP Summit, which was a huge, huge, huge uh, speech therapy conference um, online. And um, I had almost 15,000 people watch my session, Chris, which is insane. Not only do I know that, Rachel, because, well, we have talked about it, but because at least three speech therapists that I know were there, right? Two that I met, um, from my, well, one in my local school district, and then two that are new hires to my local school district. They're like, oh, you're the guy that with Rachel, and she mentioned you on the podcast. Like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's me. Um, it's crazy, but you know what I'm excited about, Chris, is that what a great like way to get AAC on the map. You know, we always talk about how, you know, it feels like our sphere of influence is getting bigger and bigger with the podcast, right? People are starting to listen to the podcast, more subscribers, more downloads, more people reaching out, more, you know, speaking events where we have the opportunity to talk to people. Um, but this felt like a really great opportunity to talk with an audience that wasn't necessarily in the know about AAC. And so that always gets me really excited because I feel like part of the reasons we do this podcast is because we want to make a bigger impact and we want to start busting myths that we keep hearing over and over and over again, which we've talked kind of ad nauseum about on this podcast. But one thing I want to circle back to is the experience that I've had with a lot of people reaching out after my talk, um, asking me specific questions and it keeps coming up, Chris, pecs, pecs keeps coming up. Um, I've gotten numerous emails from people saying, you know, I've tried sign, I've tried gestures and, you know, a child is just not making progress with pecs. Um, it feels like AAC isn't right for the student. Um, and so they're using pecs, success with pecs as the litmus test to whether or not a child is successful with AAC. And that's really, that's really frustrating to me because I know lots of kids who have either plateaued with pecs or not made uh, progress with pecs. And then we transition them to a high-tech robust language system and they start doing beautifully. Um, and so this cannot be a barrier to entry. Um, you know, in fact, I feel like it just kind of solidifies the idea that maybe we shouldn't be doing pecs to begin with <laughs> if it's not working, right? Like, but that shouldn't be the reason that we you know, start thinking or saying out loud that like a child isn't a good candidate for AAC because they're not able to make progress using PECs. So I can imagine if people go to this SLP summit, you don't even mention PECs in your presentations, I would imagine, right? I mean, I'm, we've done presentations together. It doesn't even come up. So because it's a such a larger sphere of, of people, are, people are coming to you with questions after the fact. Hey, I, I happen to notice like you didn't mention PECs or I've been working with PECs. What's your opinion here, right? Is that the sort of questions you're getting from people? Um, some of that, um, but more so it's just like, I think people's takeaway from my talk is that I'm talking all about AAC and we're including PECs in that, which technically PECs is considered AAC. So I don't wanna like, you know, confuse anybody here. Um, but when I'm talking about AAC, I'm not really thinking about PECs. I'm not really like when I'm promoting AAC and saying all kids, you know, need access to AAC, like I'm talking about robust language systems. That is not what I would consider PECs to be. Um, so I think that might be some of the confusion is that, you know, I'm talking generally about AAC and people generally are thinking PECs and I'm like, no, no, I'm not talking about PECs. Like I'm talking about like high tech, robust language systems. Okay. Uh, I've been trying to get better at this on the podcast. Uh, when we first started, I think I was really good at it. And then this, this muscle sort of atrophied over a while. We just mentioned PECs. We never really explained what it is. So if we're going to talk about this a, uh, a little bit, we should probably explain that PECs is Picture Exchange Communication System. And it is a an approach that is that has uh, again in an elevator pitch to kind of explain it has certain stages that you move through, and then there's pecs ish at least that's what I call it, which is like you're doing picture exchange, but it's not sort of the formulaic standardized approach that is a, a formally called pecs. It's just ex exchanging pictures. 
I don't know. How did I do? Is that a good summary of it? You did great. As soon as we started kind of going down this deep dive and I used the acronym PECS like 25 times, I thought, hmm, maybe we should define that for our audience. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very common approach. I think that, you know, a lot of SLPs have been conditioned to start with PECS. So like if we're thinking about AAC, it's like, well, first we have to start with PECS, which... I think just because, you know, perhaps that's the way that they saw it done and that's the way it's always been done. I have an, I have a theory about why that is. Why is why did PEX grow the proportions that it did where it became in people's mindset to try this first besides AAC? And that explanation to me is pretty simple, is that back in the day when PEX was really becoming a thing at the same time AAC cost five to six thousand dollars to have a robust robust AAC system so we sort of convinced ourselves that you, you need this paper-based thing that you can print off visuals and put some velcro on it and put some plastic and make some books and people can rip off this piece of plastic with a um, with a picture on it and hand it to somebody we got to do that first because we need because five thousand six thousand dollars per student is not feasible. But now where we live, where the price point for a robust AAC has come way, way, way down, easily less than a thousand dollars. Or you think of an iPad and the cost of an app, and you get that app on sale, or you get the iPad from a many different funding sources. The average cost of robust AAC has dropped significantly. Still not to the price point of PEX, you know, which is you know, printing out some symbols. But I think that historically is why it brooded itself in the consciousness of, of SLPs to try first is because of the price point. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like we're living in a different time, but we're stuck in our old ways. So I think that's part of the problem. And, you know, this is pervasive, a problem in so many different areas of our field. Um, even within AAC, you know, we're doing things that we now know, you know, better, right? And so when we know better, we do better. I think we know better now with PECs. For me, it's always a short-term solution, which is why I get so kind of aggravated at it because like, I don't want to spend all my precious time and energy working on skills for a system that isn't going to be long-term. You know, we talk about it all the time, Chris, like who do we know who's an adult AAC user who chooses PECs as their primary system? We don't. In fact, if you go back in the archives here, we've specifically asked if anyone's listening and knows any adult PEX user or anyone who's a former user and says, thank you, that's the thing I needed. Uh, that was the one. That was the strategy that put me over the edge. If you can point us to anyone, because we've said this before, please, we'll invite them on the podcast. We'll, we'll have a conversation with them. And not the parents. We're not talking about other people that report it. We mean the actual person. If you look at the triangle from ASHA of what makes something evidence-based, it's research-based, meaning there's a science to back it up, where there is a uh, professionals that say it's a good strategy, but then that third component has to be there where you have to have some sort of uh, client that says, this is what works for me, and we can't find them. Exactly. And kind of to the same point, it's like, I'm always thinking about with complex communication needs, right? I'm always thinking about how our time is so precious. It's not like learning language is hard for complex communicators. It takes time and effort and repetition. And, you know, when you put an AAC system, all of a sudden it's like, I still need to learn the motor plans, right? Like I, there's so many different layers of effort involved. And so we need to be even more strategic with what we're doing. These, some of my kids, it takes a long time for them to learn a single word and how to use it, you know, in meaningful ways, how to learn where it is on their system. Um, and so, you know, my biggest issue with PECs is that one, the vocabulary is always presented in a different way. So we know the importance of motor planning and it does not support motor planning. Every time I want something, it's like, well, let me put a few different options on the front of this, you know, binder. And it really requires a child to look and understand how to visually discriminate in order to select whatever it is that they want versus some type of even communication board is better than, you know, picture exchange in the sense that at least I know that eat is always at the bottom left-hand corner corner and I can at least learn the motor plan for where that word is so that I can access it without having to actually, you know, use visual discrimination and visual scanning, which takes more effort and energy. And so that's like, you know, the biggest thing for me is that, you know, we're spending all this time having kids, you know, get fatigued 
And then like they're less likely to want to communicate because communication's hard. And so that's, you know, a huge thing. And then the other thing, you know, which we kind of talked about before we hit record, Chris, is if we're thinking about, okay, we need to teach a child a communication system. So for PAX, it's literally, I look at a picture that I want, I take that picture off of this binder, and then I hand that picture to someone. So that's like the, the you know process that a child needs to understand how to take a picture of something that they'd like to say, and then give that to a communication partner. If we know that's not the long-term system, like, why are we spending so much energy trying to teach, like, to, okay, now take the picture off, then give it to, you know, the communication partner. Not to mention, like, you know, we we always talk about not doing hand over hand and, you know, that's not respectful of our learners. I don't think it's, it's necessary in order to get kids communicating, but that's literally built in to the protocol of picture exchange or pecs. It's literally part of the process is like, grab that little hand and like force it to someone else in order to teach that skill. And I just don't think it's necessary or right, you know, in a lot of ways to do that. And it just feels like a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Well, it's certainly, there's, there's, there's two big issues that I have with it. One is it's certainly more difficult to model using PECs, meaning if we know that students learn from experiencing other people doing things, right? I mean, how do kids learn to walk down the hallway in a line is that everyone's walking down in the hallway in a line, right? So same thing. Well, if other kids are using PECs in my environment, I, maybe I could learn the idea that I ripped something off and hand it by watching that. But are you learning to discriminate the pictures that way? You're certainly not, right? And oftentimes I find that's where we get stuck when people have have done pecs in the past is like, well, they'll rip something off, but they don't really look at what they're ripping off. They have learned at least that skill of like, I take some sort of uh, piece of plastic or laminate picture and I hand it because I know I get something and then we get stuck at that level. Um, but the bigger issue that I have with it is that it violates this this concept of the least dangerous assumption. So if the, the least dangerous assumption essentially asserts that this principle asserts that if you don't have enough information about an intervention to put in place, choose the thing that is least dangerous to the client, right, to, this, to the student. So if you were to put PECs and a robust AAC system next to each other and say, well, which one am I going to, to, to provide first, right? Well, and you use that concept of the least dangerous assumption as sort of your barometer about which one to choose, well, I could take PECs and I could give it to students and some students, maybe they would make some sort of progress with it and eventually became, they become verbal and they totally forget. That's why we can't get anybody, Chris and Rachel. That's why you can't, because they're, they're verbal now. They use PECs and they're verbal. Oh, well, okay. But still, I don't think that's the, but here's the bigger question is, what if they're not? Like, what if they don't become verbal? Because the same thing is true where you can give someone an a, a robust AAC app and they will use it for a while and then as someday turn it back over and go, yep, thank you, don't need that anymore. Or like we've had on the podcast, we've certainly learned on the podcast, you know, I only need that for like 2% of the time in my whole life as an adult now. So yes, I'm going to keep it, but I'm not going to use it all that frequently, but I might still use it. But there's been plenty of students that I know or teams that I know that have made a decision for the student that the student is so verbal now and using so much language that AAC isn't a thing that they focus on as a main intervention anymore. So what's the least dangerous assumption? You have to assume that a student is not is going to need that AAC for their life because if you're wrong and they end up speaking, great. If you're wrong and you gave them pecs, you've just to your point, you've wasted so much time where they could be motor, learning motor plans. They could have been learning to use that robust AAC system. So just start with it. Start with the robust AAC. You don't need pecs. Yes. I mean, drop the mic, Chris Bougay. <laughs> drop your mic. Just kidding. Don't drop it. It's important. We need that for this podcast. Um, <laughs> but I completely agree. Um, I love the idea of this least dangerous assumption because I think it's totally works in this situation. Um, now I'm thinking there's probably a lot of listeners out here thinking, Oh no, like I have so many kids that I'm working with who are using picture exchange or pecs. Um, and you know, we're not saying to, you know, go in and say like, nobody gets pecs anymore. Only high tech for everyone. Like we realize that this, you know, is, is it's in our, it's in our practice. It's in mine. And I don't, you know, ever recommend pecs. Um, but I still have, you know, students who come to me who, you know, that's our communication system. So I think that the takeaway message here is that um, if you are working with a student who's using PECs, um, 
start thinking about ways that you can start transitioning or trialing some type of more robust language system. Um, the other thing, you know, to think about is you know, how can you work within teams um, to change perspectives? Because I think a lot of times what happens, Chris, is, you know, SLPs will come to me and say, like, I, I, I know the importance of robust language systems. I want to get, you know, my kids on high tech AAC, but there's barriers to that, right? Like one barrier is cost sometimes within certain districts. You know, it's like, I don't have any budget for that or the family, you know, can't pay out of pocket for that. And I don't know what to do. Um, I think one of the biggest barriers though, is changing people's mind about this idea as PECs needed to be this prerequisite in order to then, you know, graduate to a robust language system. Um, and so I think over time you can just start having conversations about the need for robust language, um, which we've talked about when we've presented together, Chris. Um, you know, I think one of the, the most powerful ones is uh, the life-saving core. Um, that video that we share, uh, was it Gail Van Tatenhove's video? Yeah, yeah. totally Gail Van Tatenhove. I thought so. So anyway, it's like a video like that that shows um, the importance of not only core, but also like we're not, I've never seen a PEX book that has, you know, enough language to communicate when something is wrong. Um, and so I think that that's something that's really starts opening people's eyes to this need for, you know, more words and robust language systems. This would be one of those opportunities to help people open their minds because I think it's one of those things like, uh, Rachel, if if I came to visit you in Hawaii and you pointed at a plant and you said, Chris, that plant is called the uh, the the viro plant. I don't know. I looked at a we have our our 5K medal right here next to me where it says virtual race that we did together, right? So I looked up and saw, so let's call, Chris, here's this viro plant. It's called the viro plant. I would swear up and down that that thing is named the viro plant because you told it to me. I learned it this first way. I learned it wrong. Maybe you didn't know, or it's called the viro plant or something, you know? But because I learned it that way first, it becomes so cemented into me and changing what I've learned first is so much more difficult than, than learning it right the first time, do you know? And I feel like that's what we're fighting with pecs is that, but I learned this. And if I learn that, then my cognitive dissonance is so strong um, against that, 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 so, so what do you have to do? You have to open your mind. You have to recognize that maybe the information you learned 10 years ago, 15, at this point, 20 years ago, you know, might be faulty and there might be some improvements and a better way to approach the situation. Yeah, I mean, so I will say, Chris, I um, went through a lot, almost all actually, um, of the reviews that I got on the SLP Summit course, which, I mean, there was almost 15,000. So it took me like days of just like scanning through. I mean, a lot of them were like, this was great. So it was really basic, but all of the long ones I read. And so many people said, I com you've completely opened my eyes to looking at AAC in a different way. Um, you've completely changed my mind about this idea of prerequisites for AAC. Um, and so it's like, you know, I, I really respect those SLPs who had the courage and bravery to say, yikes, I don't know that I've been doing this right all along, um, you know, and I'm open to changing the way I think and changing the way I practice because of it. Um, you know, we always talk about this, Chris, but like, we're like kind of in the circles of all of the, you know, presenters who are teaching about AAC, right? Like we are friends and have had on the podcast, all of these presenters. And, you know, when we go, we oftentimes will go to, you know, our colleagues, uh, presentations and listen and no one's ever talking about pecs. No one, <laughs> not a single one. Like I haven't been in a presentation in years and years ever hearing somebody talk about how to do pecs or why pecs is, you know, a great system. It's literally always the opposite. <laughs> and so I just feel like take that, um, you know, take that for what it is. But if that was, you know, a viable option, don't you think that a lot of people would be talking about it? Yeah, I think so. And clearly you'd have people now that it's been around so long that are adults that again can say thank you and say that's that yep that was the tool that was the strategy that was the thing that worked for me and again can't find them so there's two legs of that triangle at least that are um that should put question marks in your head about pecs in general all right chris what's our interview today oh it's closing the gap part two correct
It is. Yeah. Closing the gap part two. So back in 2020, we did a talking with tech live for closing the gap. And uh, last week was part one. This week is part two. I believe next week will be part three uh, to kind of close out the uh, the the trilogy here of that experience. Um, and we should announce, too, we are doing a pre-conference for closing the gap. Yes. Yes. That's yes. That. I have two two things to announce. Are we also talking? Okay, because that's not what I was thinking. So, <laughs> okay, I also am thinking we're doing a talking with tech live for a Patreon. That's what I was thinking. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Okay, when is it, Chris? Yeah, I think when you and I put our heads together, we decided that the best day that would make the most sense would be October twenty seventh. And you know, you know what's so funny about that, Chris? I have webinar on my calendar. And I just reached out to my assistant. I was like, what webinar do I have? <laughs> and it just dawned on me. That's our Talking With Tech Live. Um, so we would love for you guys to join us. Do we know the time for that, Chris? I think it's 7 p.m. Eastern time. Okay. So that means it's 4 Pacific time. Um, if you go to patreon.com backslash talking with tech, you can sign up for a Patreon. We have tons of content in there. We've been doing Patreon for almost two years at this point. We're coming up on two years. We post very regularly in that. Uh, we post tons of therapy ideas, behind the scenes content, extra interviews, um, so many resources for your therapy. Um, in addition to all those things, um, you also will have access to our Talking With Tech Live. Um, I have to say, Chris, the last time we did Talking With Tech Live for a Patreon, like, oh my goodness. I mean, I love the Talking With Tech Live. We presented it numerous times at this point, but it's especially, um, it's, it's very special to me to be able to connect with all of our Patreon members because I feel like these are people who have supported our podcast at this point, for some of them for years. Um, and I, I feel like they're our like biggest fans. And so it just feels so nice to connect with people who are super passionate about AAC, just like we are, Chris. Um, and it's a really an opportunity for us all to connect. Um, it's less us kind of answering questions and it's more a discussion, uh, a very, you know, engaging discussion um, and collaboration about like some of the biggest challenges that we face with AAC. Um, and we can all relate to it, right? Because we're all kind of in the trenches um, doing this work, um, facing these barriers. Um, and I have to say, I've been so, you know, I loved hearing all the responses and the ideas because oftentimes I walk away from those talking with tech lives and think, thank you for that idea. Like, I'm totally going to start using that. <laughs> yeah, it's totally a, a crowdsource sort of community event where um, where people post a, a question to a Google form, it comes up on a Google sheet, and then we all sort of get our input. You and I really flex our, our facilitation muscles there because it's not really the, the Chris and Rachel answer your questions show. It's the community here together. And of course, we're going to give our input. We can't not do that, but it'll be everybody else giving their input as well. And sometimes their input is, we have no idea. Does anyone know how to handle this uh, situation. We don't know the specifics about this particular um, uh, situation or student. So could someone else jump in who has uh, an experience here? And by becoming a Patreon member. So first of all, if you're already a Patreon member, you already have access. Just show up on that day. We'll, we'll post the link in the Patreon and just come. But if you're if you don't, if you're not a Patreon member yet, uh, you can sign up over at patreon.com backslash talking with tech. And not only do you get access to that, like Rachel said, access to all of our past content, including our past Talking With Tech Live that we did for Patreon. So you can go back and watch the old stuff and, and participate th uh, that way, sort of an asynchronous participation. We're really excited. We have to say a super big thank you to all of our Patreon members. You guys make this podcast possible. Um, without your support, uh, we wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, we That helps us pay for all of the costs associated with this podcast. It helps pay for the time of the people that help make it possible. Michaela and Luke, thank you guys for being so amazing all the time. Um, so we just have to say thank you for all of our Patreon members. Um, if you're not a Patreon member yet, we would love for you to for you to join us um, at patreon.com backslash talking with tech. So without further ado, here's part two of our Talking With Tech Live at Closing the Gap 2020. Great news, everybody. We're going to be presenting a pre-conference workshop for Closing the Gap called Designing and Delivering Empowering Experiences to Teach Language Using AAC. This six-hour virtual workshop takes place over two days, October 7th and 8th, from 1 to 4 p.m. Central Time on each day. 
This interactive workshop explores strategies for teaching students of all ages language by engineering environments so all communicators have opportunities for rich, meaningful practice in the context of everyday routines. Participants will get to explore how to design experiences using interactive technologies, which empower the student and their support network, putting them on the path to achieve their lifelong language goals. During the workshop, we're going to take an in-depth look at building the skills of communication partners through structured training centered on both consulting and coaching. We'll be sharing the latest tools and strategies for establishing a culture of language learning using AAC. Everybody loves engaging tools. You can sign up now by going to bit.ly slash design AAC. That's bit.ly slash design AAC. Can't wait to see you guys there. Oh, and there's one more thing to mention, Rachel. What's that, Chris? I'm actually doing two pre-conferences on those days. I'll be presenting with the other authors of the new Inclusive Learning 365 book as well. The title of that pre-conference is Inclusive Learning 365, Breaking Down Barriers and Creating a Culture of Inclusivity by Design. That pre-conference is also on October 7th and October 8th, 2021, but it will be at 9 to 12 Central Time on those days. If you'd like to learn more about how to redesign educational experiences through an inclusive lens, then you can register for that pre-conference by going to bit.ly slash inclusivectg. That's bit.ly slash inclusivectg. Come spend the whole day with me. See you there. This is a, a pop quiz for everybody. How, how do we get to snug? How do we ensure that with the devices that we're using with students that we can get spontaneous novel utterance generation? Put in the chat if you have an idea. How do we ensure this? Katie says lots of modeling. David says lots of modeling all the time. Anybody else have any ideas? Deborah says letters and core words. Kristen says always have the device available, model, having it available. Well, absolutely, modeling is important. Having the device available, of course, is important. But here's what we need to think about. There's only so many words that we can program in a device. There's only so many words that we can anticipate that someone's going to need to say. And so really the key to snug is literacy. It's teaching students the ability to read and then to write and having systems that are robust enough to include a keyboard because we can't anticipate the crazy purple polka dotted squirrel. You know, what if a student wants to say those words, but they don't have them on their device? The only way to truly ensure that everyone's going to be able to say whatever they want to say is to really support literacy and have, of course, a robust system that has a keyboard. So I feel like we have a bunch of ringers here, Rachel, that know about this kind of stuff. We should. I agree. This Put in the chat if you already know what core words are and why they're so important. Right. Do you feel like we can move past this, everybody? Or do you want us to spend a little bit of time explaining these, this concept? I mean, if people are talking about modeling and they know that and having a robust vocabulary, Two people put that, those words in. It's true. Everyone's, everyone's an AAC all-star here. Let's see. Is anyone? I just lost my chat. Okay. Core words are the basis, 80% of our vocabulary, David writes. Yep. Awesome. All right. You're right. I think we can, I think we can move on. And we know core, we know fringe. I think, Chris, it's worth talking about for just a second the 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 ratio, right? Because I think that what I'm seeing a lot of is just, um, you know, some people get real extreme in either, either one of the categories. It's like, you know, we needed to be functional and like relevant and motivating. We need the, the fringe so that they can ask and be specific about what they want. And then we have people on the core word side who, you know, at the extreme who are core words all the time, all the core words. But it really is a balance. And Chris and I like to think about the balance the same way that, you know, we think about the ratio of the way that we speak 
you and I, um, 80, 20. So it's not all core words and it's not all fringe. Um, trying to strike the balance of that ratio is really important. Um, Chris and I also talk about personal fringe. So, or key, uh, vocabulary, which is basically having those really highly motivating, frequent fringe, um, you know, that is really personally relevant to a specific student. Um, so not sure if everyone's heard of a personal core, but we like to talk about that when we present. I'm going to give a quick example, Rachel. So, because I do think this is something that doesn't get talked about a lot in, a, in, in other webinars and by other people that work in AAC, that concept of key vocabulary. So here's a quick example. Let me ask everybody, the word hurricane, if I was an AAC, uh, if I used AAC all the time, I think I'd want the word hurricane, which I think we would admit is a kind of a fringe word. I might want the word hurricane on my device in a, in a, in a place where I can access it quickly. What, and I might, if I was a young or if I, my child was, if I had a child that used AAC, I might want hurricane to be something that we teach. Why might that be? I live in Virginia, by the way. Virginia. You're a, you're a part-time weatherman, Chris. <laughs> wife, the secret's out. My wife wishes she was. She wished she totally wanted to be a, a weather person back in the day. Got talked out of it by a professor. Anyway. Why would I use hurricane? Anyone take a guess here? Why would I, why would be hurricane? Why would that be important to me? If you don't know, then type in don't know. I don't know, Chris. Every year there's a threat, Deborah. Well, so where I live, not exactly. I, I, we've had exactly one hurricane day off in our school district in the last, uh, I guess, 21 years. Um, so it doesn't come up that often. I'm, I'm far enough in the coast and far enough up up the, up the Eastern seaboard that it's not. Interesting stores. These are really good guesses. Mm -hmm. So I, I have a question that may be a clue for people. Chris, how often would you say you use the word hurricane? How frequent and how often? Um, multiple times a day. And I oh. use it in this context. I put it with core words like, come here, hurricane. Stop it, hurricane. Go away, hurricane. Get over <laughs> here. I love you, hurricane. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> They right? got it. <laughs> yeah. And in this case, um, you need the core, but the key fringe vocabulary that might not even be programmed on some devices, the word hurricane, it'd be important for me to have hurricane because I use that all the time. It'd be highly motivating for a student to have their dog's name on a device. Cool. Okay. So the other thing that I think a lot of people sleep on when it comes to um, AAC is this notion. I mean, I see a lot of it in Facebook of people posting their core boards that they use, which are fine. I mean, using a core board is way better than not using anything. But the question I ask with that core board is, where are you going with that? Like what's coming next? Because if you really believe, we saw a bunch of people put the words robust vocabulary. If they really are going to learn ING, ED, plural S, if they're gonna learn, uh, you heard Rachel talk about a keyboard. Um, the All of those things are based on if you're going to have a, a, a fringe, a, if you're going to have a core board, and we're, you're asking the question where you're going with that, it means that you're going to transition at some point to a more robust system. And if you are not using a, um, if your core board is not a, a precursor for or associated in some way to that high tech system, then students have to relearn the motor plan meaning they have to relearn where those words are. And so this I think is super important is that from the very beginning, when we are back there considering AAC and we're thinking, where should we start? We have to be thinking about keeping the words in the same place right from the very beginning. And at all costs, don't move the words unless you absolutely have to. Just like imagine if I moved the S and Q on your keyboard, how angry at me would you be if I moved the S and Q on your keyboard? And you could relearn it, but you'd be every time you were typed, you'd be like, oh, Chris, you jerk. Why did you move? Oh, Chris, that guy. Why did they, why did I ever live in my house to change the S and the Q? Like you would be so angry all the time. So the idea is keep the buttons in the same spot, keep the words in the same spot. Another strategy, it seems like people are familiar with it, the modeling aspect. And that is the idea that when you are using AAC with a student, you have to be the primary user of the AAC meaning we're teaching somebody AAC, teaching people language, they have to experience us using that. And that can be done by us 
modeling on the communication device, which I think people know. And okay. then you grab their hand, Rachel, and you make them do it. If they don't. No, Chris. No, Chris. We inspire them to communicate with us. I am known for this phrase. I've used it for years. And I really believe that as the adults that work with students, especially with complex communication needs, um, the onus is on us to figure out motivating activities, games, toys, foods, whatever it might be, that's so exciting that kids just have to communicate with us. Um, you know, there's no reason that we need to, like Chris says, grab a student's hand and make them talk. Um, you know, and and we we would not even if a, a student was was able to, you know, say that, and they you said say goldfish, and they said it, like the the likelihood of that generalizing to actually being a skill is very low, um, because we need we need a good reason to communicate. And that's the reality. Um, so the question is like, what inspires us to communicate? Like, what do we actually need to think through when we're designing, um, you know, activities for students? Um, and Chris, you can go to the next slide because I can tell you what it's not. It's not things that are boring and mundane and ordinary. If you think about why we as adults communicate with one another, it's not to say random, boring things like the car is driving. We talk about things that are interesting or surprising or weird or funny or gross. And so when we're thinking about, or I don't even know, what is that? Is that, a, is that an octopus? Is? No. This? No, come on, anyone? Don't let me down, people. Know what this little toy that I'm holding up is. But it's something weird that you talk about, right? <gasps> Who said that? Katie. Katie knows Cthulhu. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy someone. Nerd. Sorry, Rachel. We got we went no. off into Nerdville, Katie and I. I'm happy. I'm happy somebody knew what that was. <laughs> so anyway, that was surprising and interesting. And it we really can think through this lens when we're designing experiences for students. I love using gifts in this way just because they're oftentimes quite novel. Um, you know, a giraffe eating popcorn. When has a child ever seen a giraffe eating popcorn uh, or a, you know, elephant wearing pink shoes? Um, and so it's really important to think through this lens. Um, you know, we as the adults can create situations that are highly engaging and motivating for kids that get kids wanting to communicate with us. What does any kid say on any given day when you get pick them up from school or you ask them how their day went? Ask any of your kids. What do they say? They say, well, what, put it in the chat. You ask any kid, hey, what did you do at school today? How was school today? What do they write? Fine. <laughs> good. Good. What'd you do? What'd you do at school today? Nothing. Right? They're not wrong. The, the maintain, it's like every day is the same thing. But Rachel, I just love how you said it. It's up to us to design the experience in a way that makes it not that way. So you get people to talk about. So you could talk about weird creatures that came up in the in your building or in your um, in your uh, your Google Meets. You know, I love to surprise kids too. Actually, one of my new favorite things is using my Apple Pencil as a magic wand. So like I'll use the annotate feature. I'll put like a box on top top on top of something on the screen. And then I was like, oh, like you want to see my magic wand? And like I'll time it where like they say something and then like I go poof and I like erase it at the same time and they think it's magic. So it's like things like that where kids are like, whoa, I want the magic wand again. <laughs> it doesn't have to be fancy. It can be pretty simple, but it's all about like how we engage with students and the way that we talk to them and the kinds of activities that we choose. All right, so it's this moment in the presentation that it stops being a presentation and it becomes a live discussion with all of us together, um, brainstorming and, and coming up with solutions to the questions that come up, or at least strategies, if not a solution. Um, so once again, we'll put it in the chat. It's bit.ly slash TWT live. That will take you to a Google form. When you fill out that Google form, it's only got like one, one or two questions on it. And then it uh, feeds a spreadsheet, which I'm going to pull up now. Um, I'm about to pull up. We also wanted to give you some ideas if you're not sure. Oh, I don't even know what to write as a question. These are some things like I'm so new to AAC. I don't even know what to ask. 
Um, these are some sort of sample questions, you know, uh, we already talked about which words should I teach, but that ratio and how do I do it? Um, you know, barriers that I might come up with, uh, how do I do training? Um, Rachel and I, uh, we talk a lot about coaching. So, you know, your experience is there. So these are just some questions. I won't read them, read them all, but those are some things you might be talking about. Right? And then Rachel, of course, there's other things that people, we hear people say, like what? These are literally from my intake form. <laughs> so I, I say on my intake form, my biggest challenge with communication is for my child's, with my child's communication is. And this is the types of things that they say. He never tells me how he feels or when he's sick or he can't tell me what he did at school today. Um, the, the last one is a big one. I feel like they're not making progress. Like kids have plateaued. Um, and so I would encourage everyone to think about what's your biggest struggle with AAC right now? What's a roadblock for you? A specific client that you have that maybe is just proving to be super challenging. You're not seeing the progress you want to see because um, it's it's these kinds of situations that can really breathe life into your practice. Um, every week I have a team uh, meeting with all my clinicians and we do this. We like, I tell them to come with a celebration, something that they're excited to share a challenge, something that they've been struggling with that week and a commitment for next time. Um, and so it's really important to really take advantage of the fact that we all have a unique experience and we can all share, uh, collectively and really inspire for those cases where we're like, Oh, like, I feel like I'm just like, I need a new, a new idea or a strategy. Um, and so I'd encourage you guys to think about perhaps students on your caseload or situations with your current job that feel problematic and like a roadblock. So this is where we're going to get to the Q&A. This link, this responses takes you right to the spreadsheet. I'm actually going to so, put that in the chat, Chris. Great. Okay. We can share. So Katie's asking for the bit.ly again. Um, I'm going to share the, I think we should just share the link so people can. Definitely. Um, so hold on a second. Let me figure out the bit.ly link. Chris, actually, can you put the, the form link first and then I'll follow up with the spreadsheet? Sure. So hold on. Let me get back to it. It is, this is the form link. bit.ly slash TWT live. Think there we go. Work. Make sure that works there. I just clicked on it. Yeah, takes you right to the form. Perfect. And then this is the link to the responses. So you can help answer people's questions and start typing into the, the response boxes. Ooh, yay. All right, so we, got, we have a We got one. <laughs> Or two. Yeah, we've got a couple. All right. So the first one is Tanya. And Tanya writes, what do you think is the most effective? And oh, hold on, before I say this, before I read the question out loud. Again, I want to reiterate, if you have access to this spreadsheet, you can type responses over here. Uh, anything in the blue area or the stuff that says solutions, ideas, strategies, tools, just pick a cell that nobody else is in and you can start typing in there. You should all have edit access to that. Um, and second is we encourage you to answer these questions with Tanya, meaning it won't necessarily be Rachel and I, well, of course, we'll give some input, but we'd love to hear from all of you. This is, a, a, this is sort of the benefit of us being here together at the same time is that we can lean on each other. So if you just wanted to sit and listen to Rachel and I, you could listen to the podcast, you know? So I'll read it out loud for all of us. What do you think is the most effective way to move district team mindsets to presume potential rather than looking at the barriers and complexity of needs and using this as a reason not to teach language and literacy through AAC slash AT. Tanya, what a fantastic question. So what are some people's thoughts on this? And like, as Chris had mentioned, we can, you can put it into the spreadsheet. You also can turn your microphone on if you'd like to talk it out with us, um, whatever you feel comfortable with. If you want to come on, you can just unmute. I think there's a few of a few of us. There's a there's enough of us here that it won't become an issue because um, I mean there's there's just the right number really. 
Yeah, this is a great group. Anyone else how, dealing with this? How do we help Tanya? Ooh. <laughs> Getting team members to listen to the Talking With Tech podcast. Actually, that's a great idea. Um, I, I can't tell you how often I fall back on specific episodes um, to share with clients, school teams, um, you name it, just because it's an easy way to learn information and um yeah, we, we really appreciate that. That was part of the, the reason we made the podcast. You know, there's actually two other tricks that go along with that podcast answer. One of them is uh, the reason, I, one, of the, one of the tricks behind it is, is to constantly share it with somebody, meaning like, hey, I listened and, I, and here's this takeaway that I had. And, like, and doing that consistently, um, I call it the Shawshank approach. Anyone know why I might call it the Shawshank? Does anyone, ever, anyone seen the Shawshank Redemption, right? I'm not, I'm not completely... Do, do you remember how in the Shawshank Redemption, he got the library, how Andy Dufresne got the library? Does anyone remember that? Go ahead and put it in the chat. Do you know how Andy, or come on, if you know, you can just unmute and say, I know how he got it. Yeah, Gary says, yes, lots of letters and not just lots of letters, Gary. How often did he write a letter? Every day, yeah, it's like, um, or at least once a week, right? Persistence. And so the idea here is we could introduce the Talking With Tech podcast or other resources to our colleagues, but the chances, the chances they're going to listen to the podcast, because you mentioned it once, is very little. Like just think the last TV show that you adopted and you started watching, was it because, you know, one friend mentioned it or is it because you kept hearing about it over and all these people are talking about Game of Thrones, maybe I should check it out, you know, like that's the idea. So you'd have to keep peppering with them using the Shawshank approach so that they uh, eventually like, you know what? Uh, So-and-so keeps telling me about this, keeps telling me about this. And yeah, okay, finally I'll check it out. You know, that's one, I think, important strategy. Two is to do some sort of book study, or I guess it'd be called a podcast study around it, where yes, they might listen to it, but are they reflecting on it? Is it moving the needle for them? And the way to do that might be to invite them to a party, you know, hey, how about once a month, we pick a podcast and we listen to it and then we come and we talk about it and we hang out, you know? Um, I think those are two add-on strategies to that. Anyone else have any other ideas here to help Tanya? Tanya, I have some very specific ones, but I'm curious if other people have stuff. Oh, Gary has to head out. Thanks, Gary. <laughs> I love how there's a lot of, a lot of questions. So Tanya, the other specific strategies is I like to show the teachers the, um, um, well, I'll say this. I see a lot of teachers that, that, that are super caring. They're, they, 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 they leave with their heart on the sleeve. They'll do anything for the kids. And there's a lot of good care happening. But sometimes where they fall short, is, is the teaching or instructional aspect of it. It becomes like a, a quiz show when the kids show up is that I just asked them a bunch of WH questions. And so a way to break through that is I show them, ready for this, this is kind of pulling on the heartstrings, but I show them the, the abuse statistics um, about people who, um, people who have disabilities are often abused at a higher rate than anyone else. And so uh, and I show that I got permission from Gail Van Tate and hope she shares a video about a former client of hers, a, a, a man who was able to advocate for himself because he had this uh, speech therapist that taught him um, core vocabulary words that he could generate language so that, so that when she came to visit him, he could share about how he was being neglected and being uh, not being fed. And I, I show them that video and I show them those statistics and I say the, this phrase, care now does not ensure care always. And you might be setting up your kids for abuse later on if you do not teach them these skills now. And that, for me, I've seen the needle move for some teachers there, you know? I've seen the, yes, thank you for whoever put the, the link me. in the, Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> but that, you know, that moves the needle for them because that it gets them thinking like, yeah, I don't want anyone ever to hurt the kids. I love them so much, you know? 
This kind of goes alongside of um, Katie's question. She says, I work with a lot of teams that want to use PECs and I have a hard time convincing them the power of core. I hear, quote, they have to get to phase four of PECs before we can introduce an AAC device, even though I preach no prerequisites. I think it's a very similar um, question. And I can't tell you, Katie, how many times I've had this exact conversation. I've seen it in reports. I've had team meetings discussing this. Um, it's just, it's really unfortunate. Um, I, 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 Chris and I always kind of go back to this question. How many adult AAC users do you know who use, who choose to use PECs as their primary form of communication? How many adults do you know who have said, I see all of my options and I choose PECs. Katie says none. Yes, I don't know a single one. Um, and that's that's really powerful too, is that we need to be, with kids with complex communication needs, we need to be efficient in the way that we're teaching because oftentimes it takes longer. AAC is, is a whole nother language system you have to learn. And so why don't we maximize the work that we're doing, all the hours and hours of teaching that we're doing um, with a long-term solution. And there's no evidence to suggest that kids can't be introduced to high-tech AAC earlier. Um, you know, again, kids go back to, I go back to the idea that kids learn how to use technology by getting the opportunity to. Um, and we're if we're constantly limiting their potential by saying, sorry, you can't show me that you have reached this certain criterion that I think is important. That's not research-based, by the way. <laughs> this idea that like we need to get here before we go there. There's no evidence that I know of that suggests that. Then we're just, we're, we're the gatekeepers for communication. Dana Nieder was on our podcast. Um, was Dana Nieder on our podcast? She was, right? It was a while ago at this point. She talks about that as like a parent and now SLP who many people told her that her daughter was not a good candidate for high-tech AAC. And they truly were the gatekeepers to her potential and to her communication. And so let's not be the gatekeepers to what a child is capable of. And just from my own personal experience, tons of my kids plateau on PECs. Why? Because one, I think there's a huge element of the motor planning. If we think about the way PECs is typically um, presented to a student, it's a book where the pictures move every single time. And so think about how challenging it is. It would be like somebody going into your phone and moving all of your buttons every single day. Every day you have to visually scan to find every single thing instead of being able to automatically go without thinking. And so I think that puts a lot of uh, pressure and work on a student. And so they do, they plateau and they don't get past a certain phase of pecs because they're not motivated to, and it's hard. Um, and so that's something often that I'll tell uh, teams and talk about with teams is that, you know, let's make it easier. If we can make communication easier for a student, they're more likely to do it. And my experience is that pecs is not easy. 